As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. SIFPOP Podcast is recorded in front of a live internet audience. Live from a bunker in the heart of the Ozarks, we just finished eating our lunch with the back of our heads. It's SIFPOP. <laughs> Spoilers! Nobody knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. Welcome to Sif Pop. Uh, good to be with you again. This happens every Friday. It's live to listen to on Mixler, or you can download it later in your podcast feed. Unless, of course, you're a patron. Patrons get those perks. Patrons get those perks. Uh, I'm Aaron Dicer from YourMovieFriend.com. I'm joined by Andrew Armsby from Flick Freaks. Ahoy! Every week we'll be joined by a pop culture guru to chat about movies, television, and whatever else from the pop culture universe is on our little minds Today's guru is Sam Gavin from Sam's channel. Hello. Whistles. (laughs) Hooting. Hollering. (laughs) Golf clapping. Harumph. Harumph indeed. Uh, Sam comes to us from uh, across the pond in England. It's always great to have you on. I love. It's a big pond. Yeah, that we get to have a a little international flavor to what we do on Sif Pop every once in a while. How you doing, man? I'm doing very good. Thanks for having me on. I always enjoy these. They're a lot of fun. Yeah, we have a good time. Uh, I want to ask you this, since we've got you on, and I don't have any other true English friends. How's life after Brexit? Like, how's how's it going over there? <laughs> well, uh, you don't want to bring it up in a room in case someone... <laughs> it's like, so, uh, Brexit, and then immediately you know who, who voted it and who didn't. Yeah. But, I mean, otherwise the... I mean, it's a two-year transition, so the world keeps on spinning, and eventually, I'm sure we'll we'll see the uh, eventual decline in. It's, it <laughs> sounds kind society. of like our election right I was now. Where you say, just don't want to bring it up. Anywhere yeah, it's just like nobody wants to talk about Trump. And, yeah, and I know there will be someone listening to this that will say. Sam has never brought up politics or mentioned them in any of his videos, and now that he has, I don't want to follow him anymore. Yeah. I just know there's that person out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I'm not asking you to take a stand or anything. I was just curious how the, the temperament uh, of the country was. Uh, I imagine Yeah, that... I think we've all calmed down a little bit now, but it was quite hot. It was The blood was boiling for a while. I think that's... I, I, there is no possible way that it's not the same here in December. You yeah. know, like after our election, it's yeah. just going to... It's going to be hot for a while, Yeah, no matter how the election yeah. goes. And that's just you know I and, really and you can't you can't help that when like the day after results you you can't even help just looking at people and thinking did you vote for whoever you know <laughs> yeah it makes me feel better knowing that England hasn't dove into a twenty eight days later Mad Max Fury Road <laughs> apocalypse I don't after know man. give it another year. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Uh, well, we're going to have a great time today. We're going to talk uh, Miss Peregrine's School for Peculiar Children, or home, home, right? 
home. Pe- home for peculiar children. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about Mr. Robot Season 2. Of course, we'll have uh, a best ever challenge on schools in our movies that are set in schools. And then, uh, and then we'll have our buried treasure. But we like to kick it off with some Do We Care? Andrew will ask us, uh, read a pop culture headline to us, I should say, and we'll say whether we care enough to talk more about it. All right. This one is Barbara Bracoli and Michael G. Wilson say that if Daniel Craig changes his mind, the role of 007 is his, no questions asked. Whoa. Uh, they love him so much. No questions asked. He can come back. Uh, yeah, I, I think we should talk about that a little bit. Sam, yeah, what do you like, think? Yeah. Um, yeah, I like a bit Bond. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, that's we've got you on. You yeah. are from the country of Bond, so you should have the like and, ultimate and authority. I am as cool as Bond. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <totally. laughs> but here, here's what I'm curious about. So they're saying, Daniel Craig, you can come back, but Sam Mendes, the one who's made all the Bonds, he's gone. Yeah. So they have to find somebody else to direct it. I think that it was just those two meant, you know, melding together so well that made those movies so spectacular. So yeah, I'd be curious yeah, to see well, who they I mean, would get. Skyfall, Skyfall was in terms of the creative team. I mean, they they absolutely nailed it. And I can mm-hmm. imagine after Quantum of Solace, which was was partially written by Craig on the fly during production, because um, huh. uh, and. That that obviously was a bit of a hectic. I believe it was during the writers' strike, um, and uh, it got a bit got a bit hectic apparently. So I can imagine he may well have walked away from the franchise uh, unless there was the right team on board. Um, but there hasn't. It's it's bizarre. There hasn't actually been a an official confirmation that Craig has left. But it sounds like they're like waiting for his response or something. Yeah, yeah he, it sounds like he's got his options if he wants to come back, that it's all his. You having fun over there, Aaron? I'm just I'm just trying to get this out of my vision. Oh, That's all. Okay. You want to see all. my pretty face? That's what it is. <laughs> that is what it is. <laughs> all right. Uh, what do you guys think? Should he be the next Bond, or are you ready for somebody new? I don't. Um, for me personally, I think that he should do maybe one or two if he wants to, because I uh, after Spectre, I felt like he really was, you know, just phoning it in on that one. I Personally, I did not like Spectre like at all. It's my least favorite Craig Bond, mm-hmm. even more than Quantum of Solace. But uh, if he comes back and he wants to, you know, give the amazing performances we got in Casino Royale and Skyfall, I'm all for it. What do you think, Sam? Uh, I completely agree with Andrew. I thought uh, his his performance in Spectre. I mean, it, like he just showed up, and you know, I like I like Daniel Craig. He's a good actor, and I I think he's. Uh, I mean, I've, I've said it before in, in other places, but I think Skyfall was, for me, the perfect Bond movie. Yep, I agree. Um, had I agree. all the great elements of the franchise, but also with a good weighty story with nuanced themes, and the villain was a lot of fun. Um, and I just thought it was the perfect version of a Bond movie. So I actually would have been perfectly happily... I've, I would have been perfectly happy if they up and decided to just end the series right there. I understand that they... It's a Bond franchise, and that's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, but if if Craig's going to come back and just do what he did in Spectre, I mean, I, I, and you know, he's done a good job, so I don't think it's a bad thing for him to walk away from it. I don't. I, I, I whenever someone asks me who should be the next Bond, I, I always have no idea what to say because you always get the usual suspects: Tom Hiddleston, uh, Michael Fassbender, all those types of people. Mine would be um, Idris Elba. I've heard the Eater Selba yeah. thing. Somebody in the chat said Haley Atwell for a female Bond. Could you ever do like a female Bond? 
I see. We start getting into we start getting into social politics. We start talking about <laughs> like a black bond and a and a female bond. Sure. Um, I I think there are elements that are um, integral to the character, um, and I, I'm also of the mind that if you want to make a female bond, just for the sake of making a female bond, because it's I mean it's it's a completely different topic if we're talking about something like Doctor Who, where the, the guy can regenerate. Yeah. If we're talking about bond that has an extensive history. And a, and a nationality as well. I mean, there, there, there are many instances where he has had uh, political views that are directly associated with who he is and where he comes from that I think are also important factors. Mm. So, I mean, I'm, I, I've never quite been for the Idris Elba as, as Bond or a female Bond. I think the way to go about it is make a good uh, black uh, secret agent and make a good female secret agent. There was actually Haley Atwell in particular. I mean, she just she's Peggy Carter at this point. I don't think you can. Yeah, I think she's too tied to that character now. You know who was great, and I don't know that it was a secret agent, but um, I loved Angelina Jolie in was it Salt? I was not a fan of that I movie. Never saw Salt, but I, I thought was, she was great in that. I that struck me as kind of like what the female equivalent of a Bond kind of could be. But for me. I'll kind of go against you guys just a little bit. I'd rather see Daniel Craig walk off into the sunset. I like the rotating door of Bonds. Like, I like getting a new one every few years. It's kind of like the Doctor, you know, like you mentioned. I, I like that there's, you know, that new blood that kind of comes into the series. So I, I'm, I'm all for somebody new. And I understand what you're saying, but for me, it was he's had two really good Bond movies and two bad ones. I don't want him to be yeah. known as the Bond who was halfway decent i want him to you know go out on a high note yeah, yeah like if Roger they would have got let down by a lot of not great bond films if they would have ended specter after the first 15 minute intro and just say that was the movie that would have been fine oh my goodness the in- <laughs> yes the intro to specter is one of the the best pieces of filmmaking i saw all last year it was incredible and then the movie just went then, right downhill the movie was avalanche <laughs> They should have edited it differently to where the movie got progressively better, and then they put that at the end. There that you go. Yeah. We can solve all your problems. All right, what, what do you got next? <laughs> oh, number two. I forgot that I'm in charge of this part. <laughs> um, authorities have sentenced the man who last year uploaded the torrented version of The Revenant to pay $1.12 million in restitution to Fox. Wow. He's also, I think it's 20 months uh, home arrest. Wow. So. Jeez. $1.12 million. $1.12 million. All right, you can look at this a couple ways. First of all, I do care about this deeply. I think it's one of the the biggest things that our culture continues to have to deal with is digital copies, uh, piracy, all those kind of issues. How do you super serve the audience and at the same time protect your you know intellectual property? Mm-hmm. Um, if you agree that intellectual property is something that can be protected by law, which not everybody agrees with that. But anyways. And there's a specific reason for this one why it's a bigger deal than other torrents and stuff. Because the torrented version of The Revenant came out a month before the theatrical release. It was a it was a, uh, a screener. Uh, yeah, it was an award screener. It was an award screener. Yeah, which I'm, I'm very familiar with because I get, get those. those. So I, I had that, you know, the copy of the movie that early. He means to get the screeners, not the torrented versions. <laughs> <laughs> Just so we're clear. Yeah. Um, but I, I, uh, the I, FBI was about to knock on the door and they're like, we're, we're good, <laughs> we're good. Um, I, I have to say, I, I don't understand that desire. So this is one angle for it for me. The desire to upload it. Like, as somebody who has access to that stuff, it is 
Like, I don't even have an inkling to be like, hey, look, everybody, take it. It's for you now. Like, I just like, I guess I, I, I take very seriously the, you know, the honor it is to be able to do that, to be able to see it early so that we can, you know, do awards and that kind of stuff. And the partnership that we have with creative content makers, I don't know. I just don't, what is the, what is the. So from what I was reading and I don't want to be misquoted on this, but he was not the one sent the screener. He took it from somebody who oh, was given the screener. that's the worst. That's my nightmare. Yeah. So he wasn't like given the screener. Like he wasn't honored with that. He took it from somebody who had it. That so. makes a little more sense to me. But, you know, you are also told that you are not allowed to loan it out. But, of course, if he took it, that's different than loaning it out. Yeah. So That's theft. So uh... Yeah. <laughs> the other angle I would take is I would say, and Sam, I would, I would love for you to weigh in on this, just any thoughts you have. But the other angle I would take is I, I actually think that's a fair judgment. I, I know it's a million dollars, and we think, well, who can afford a million dollars? But when you're looking at something that that big and that makes that much money and it comes out a month before – the theater, I think it's very easy to argue that that decision could have cost them a million dollars. The exact same thing happened to The Expendables 3, except, you know, not as many people wanted to see that movie as The Revenant. That's fair. But I'm saying the same thing. And um, was it Sony who put out that movie? Whoever whoever the produ- production company, they went after the, uh, the, uh, the Torrenter hard. Yeah. I don't know if it was to this extent, the 1.12 million extent, but... It's something that people who should definitely think think about. You know, if you're mm-hmm. going to take the risk, there's a reason it's a risk. Yeah, so for sure. Weigh that option in your mind before you upload anything. What do you, What are your thoughts, Sam? I think there's a lot to uh, consider as well in the fact that you know so many people pour their creative hearts and souls into into movies, and you know they give them a lot of their time, and it's very the the desire to put that out there is very dependent on when the film is released and and when people get to see it. Um, so I under I think, yeah the money's quite a bit. Um, but I think I, I've actually been reading a book by Mark Kermode, who if anyone doesn't know is a British film critic, um, you can find him on YouTube. Um, but he discusses the uh, annoyance with the cinema experience and how sterile it's become now and you know you don't have it's not treated like an artistic theater experience anymore as much as you just press a button and, put it, and the digital stuff starts doing it for you but he also discusses that uh, like the music industry got on board basically got rid of naps of the napster problem by embracing the 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 idea and the method and making that accessible to people um maybe maybe it's time we started doing you know uh, screenings of the movie and simultaneous uh you know purchase it uh online uh, onto your phones or something like that or you know something maybe something like that i mean i think the the desire to do that comes from the fact that people don't have access to it I, I will say, though, that it doesn't quite qualify with this chat because he did do it before the film was even released. But I think there's there's something to explore there in maybe the distribution of films mm-hmm. needs an upgrade or a rethink of some kind. Oh, for sure. I think if they play their cards right, they can get rid of the problem that is torrenting and illegal downloads and sharing that content. So Yeah, I think it, um, it, all, it all has yeah. to do with market price and uh, release and, and you know subsequent release is something they've talked about and some movies do that. I think that's smart. So yeah, I think they can deal with the issues, but... Um, I think that Hollywood, like the elites of Hollywood, the ones who are in charge of distribution, they're so stuck in the old ways that they're not up, updating the way that they, you know, 
give out these uh, screeners. So it's like they're asking, not asking, but, you know, it's a lot easier for somebody to torrent something in this style. It's not encrypted in any way, you know, Mm -hmm. so they definitely need to look at it to fix this issue. I love the comment in the chat. The Expendables 3 guy was fined $12.50 for the one theater ticket that was compromised by the Torrent's early release. Wow, that's pretty (laughs) savage. (laughs) That's savage. Nice. All right, on to the next one. Final Do We Care. Colin Trevorrow has stated that Jurassic World 2 will lean more towards a horror film and that there will be more animatronics and practical effects. It should be stated Colin Trevorrow is not directing this film. It is going to be J.A. Boyana who did The Orphanage and The Impossible. His newest movie coming out is the uh, uh, Liam Neeson movie, A Monster Waits. So, more towards a horror film. What do you guys think about that? Do you care? Yeah. I, I mean, I love the Jurassic Universe, so... Uh, it's absolutely something I care about. I think the horror film aspect of the Jurassic Park movies is sometimes one of the most underappreciated aspects of those movies. Um, the first one has a lot of horror feel I to it. I think the kitchen scene in the first one is like one of the most iconic horror scenes in films. Yeah, but you just don't you don't ever think of Jurassic Park as a horror movie. Exactly. You right. know? Sam, what do you think about no, this? No, I think of it more as a thriller. Yeah. Yeah, so it'll be, it'll be interesting. I understand what he's saying. This feels to me like a little bit of... Um, you know, preaching to the choir or, you know, trying to attract people to the yeah. things that, that they love. You know, a lot of people are saying, go back to practical effects. A lot of people are saying, you yeah, know, yeah. that kind of stuff. It's so it's similar to Force Awakens. Yeah. yeah. So it well, feels it worked there. Right. No, and it does work. <laughs> but yes. It does feel a little bit about, you know, uh, like a little Keep bit of convincing. Yeah. And uh, the reason Colin is not going to be directing Jurassic World 2 is because he's going to be directing Star Wars Episode 8. Wow. So I, it's. Man, so he I, can learned- you believe we live in a world where we're getting Jurassic Park <laughs> movies and Star Wars movies? And- what year is it? <laughs> <laughs> Want to take a second just to stop down and make sure and thank the people who make this show possible. Mm-hmm. Supporters on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month, you can say that you are creating podcasts with the Shoe That O Podcast Network, which Sif Pop is on. So a dollar a month, $3 a month, $5 a month keeps this thing going. Also some pretty fun perks there. One that you may not know of, we actually have a patron-only podcast feed. So if you are a patron, you get all the bonus episodes, all of that automatically in one feed that loads right into your iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you do podcasts. If you want all the details, again, just go to patreon.com slash shoe the dough uh the other thing is we've got a live show coming up on november 4th in springfield missouri uh we're going to be at a local coffee shop recording the podcast live in front of a live audience we've got musical guests coming we're going to have a lot of fun if you are a patron your entry is free you get in for free so you can come enjoy the show with us in springfield missouri on november 4th can't wait to see you there as always thank you so much for your support of this podcast and others on the shoe the no network means the world to us and we couldn't do it without you indeed on to the movie for this episode miss peregrine's home for peculiar children but before we get into that andrew and i both did get a chance to see Deepwater horizon so very quickly Let's just chat about that just real quick before we get into Miss Peregrine. Andrew, what would you think? Wow. <laughs> wow. All right, now ask me. All right, Aaron, what did you think about this movie? Whoa. 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 <laughs> um, 
No, seriously, I loved it. I it, thought was it was so good. I thought it was great. It really surprised me how good how good it was. Um, I've been a fan of Peter Berg, the guy who directed this he's movie. He's so good. So yeah. going into this and knowing what him and Mark Wahlberg can do together for a Lone Survivor, for mm-hmm. example, he knows how to tell uh, true stories about hero- heroism. Mm-hmm. And he nails it. Yeah. So every performance, for me personally, just real quick, Kurt Russell stole the movie. Really? I thought it was great. I don't know if it's like an award-winning performance, but it was really good. It's a great performance. Uh, and I I would think it's the best performance. I would say it's the best performance. I really enjoyed um, Mark Wahlberg's performance. Yeah. Uh, I think he's an underrated actor. Even though he's been in a lot of great stuff, uh, it's, you know, I think even back to like Three Kings, that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? I mean, he's mm-hmm. he's a great actor, but and he puts in another great performance, so... Uh, effects are amazing in it. Uh, you really feel like you're on this oil rig. I love a great true story. Um, I'm a sucker, so yeah. For, so true I think that's a, a high recommend from the both of us. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Well, you made me want to see it. Yeah, <laughs> we we give it three Keanu Reeves. Three Keanu. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> I know kung fu. Uh, all right, on to Miss Peregrine's home for peculiar children. Uh, this comes to us from Tim Burton. It is a, I think it's a, is it a novel series or is it just one book? I didn't, I didn't do the research. I believe it's a novel series. Okay. To be honest, I haven't done my research. I figure these days everything is a novel series. Why would you quit writing after one when you could make so much more money? So, uh, so yeah, based on a novel series, it's the first entry into this world. Stars Asa Butterfield as this kid who is trying to figure out what his grandfather is talking about with peculiar children and and a lot of stuff happens. It's from the brain of Tim, you know, Burton, you know, you see his fingerprints all over, the the quirkiness of it and the creepiness of it, all that kind of stuff. I guess my first question is, where does it fall for you guys generally? Did you like it, love it, was it just okay, disliked it, or hated it? Sam, you go first. Uh, I thought it was okay. Okay, Andrew? You know what? Normally, I don't like Tim Burton movies, and I still don't. I didn't like it. I didn't like it. <laughs> um, that, was a, that was a little Ryan Seacrest you just pulled on us. Yeah. And the answer is after the break. Yep. Uh, no, I, I, uh, I can't say I liked it. I'm going to have to go with it was okay. Yeah. There's just too much, there's too much wrong with it yeah. uh, for me to go into yeah. the liked it category. Let's get into some of the specifics. Let's start with the good stuff since there's probably not a ton of that. Sure. Um, Andrew, why don't you start? What's something you did like about the movie? Okay, before I get into that, I just wanted to mention really quickly, I promised Aaron that there would be one movie this year that, because normally he has his no frames pledge. It and, is time now uh, for the Sith Pop Zero <laughs> Frames it. Pledge. I knew it. I, Aaron Dicer, commit to seeing each movie in its purest storytelling form, not allowing a single moment of the story to be seen out of story context through trailers or early scene releases. As much as it is within my ability, I will see every frame of every movie for the first time as a completed work. We now recite the zero frame motto. The story just won't be the same if you've seen a single frame. So zero frame becomes our goal to see the film complete and whole. You may continue. So, <laughs> thank you, Aaron. You're welcome. So, I promised Aaron that there would be one movie this year where I would take his pledge because normally I kind of make part of my living off of uh, frames for trailers and breaking them down and stuff. So, yeah. I'm not allowed to, you know, live Ignore out his. Mm-hmm. So, I didn't know, but I said there would be one movie. I didn't know anything. I didn't know it was a Tim Burton movie. I didn't know who was in it. I didn't know what it was about. Nicely done. And, uh, 
Yeah, not doing it again. (laughs) Okay, I'm not saying that because the movie was bad. It's just I didn't enjoy it. It was interesting saying, oh, it's a Tim Burton movie, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. But pros about this movie, I thought Eva Green was amazing. She, Tim Burton movies kind of have this style to them, Mm -hmm. and the characters have this loud, you know, bravado, bombastic kind of personality to them. Yeah, there's a word quirkiness to you know, the characters yeah helena and johnny depp they uh they really know how to do that and i think eva green fell right into that and she really nailed it she was probably my favorite performance of the movie i agree with you uh it was the only performance actually that i thought got the tim burton aesthetic yep. i didn't i didn't remember maybe the grand what's the guy that played the grandfather oh um, that's uh um, yep, yeah, 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 yeah. terrence stamp i thought he was okay as well but uh, but Asa Butterfield, I didn't feel like got you know quite got the Tim Burton aesthetic as an actor, and so that that drew me out of it. But yeah, I, I agree. I thought uh, Eva Green was was great. What do you think, Sam? Uh, I really like Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, I thought he hammed it up completely and appropriately. Uh, I thought it was a lot of fun, um, and I thought the movie could have done with more of him in it. Actually, um, what else did I like? I liked um, I liked the general aesthetic. Um, I'm not the biggest modern tim burton fan i suppose you'd say um i'd associate the uh the kind of aesthetic in this one to be more in line with something like big fish than for instance edward scissorhands or um that's interesting you know, batman returns it's a little bit it's a little feels a little more restraint and it feels a little more grounded in a real world to a point um uh what else do i like there's there's one scene I and mean, it's not really a spoiler it's in the trailer um but there's there's a scene where two characters go swimming. That's all I'll say. Um, and it's uh, there's no dialogue, and it the the score comes up, and it's just a nice. I thought atmospherically it was just a really nice moment, and I thought it was a nice little nice nice part of the film. Yeah, um, I feel like this. Yeah. I feel like this movie is is really gorgeous at times. There are moments in this movie where I yeah. thought the the visual aesthetic was was really beautiful and I think that's one of them. One of the things the other things that I loved uh was this world. I actually really liked the cleverness of this world. Now I've seen we've all seen many times different versions of X-Men, right? Where you've got a group of people <laughs> yeah. who all have different powers. You know, I, I said in my review this is basically Tim Burton's X-Men is what this movie is. <laughs> you've stolen my mind. <laughs> exactly what I was gonna say. Huh. Um <laughs> I get it. Yeah, it makes sense. So we've all seen the you know that but at the same time like the stuff with how the villains work how the world works the stuff about uh, i'll just say the loops and maybe we can go into more details in the in the spoiler section all that stuff seemed really interesting to me like there was a cleverness to or a uniqueness to let's even say kind of the world itself um the problem was it had to do so much setting up that world that you know at times it it didn't feel like uh we got a chance to live in that world Here's my question. Is this going to be a series or was this a one and done film? Do you guys know? It probably depends on the economics, I imagine. Okay. It it's the the way it ended to me sounded like it made it seem as if it was a one shot. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Cuz if it is a one shot then there was way too much in this movie. I don't want to get into the negatives right now just real quick. Oh, but, that's uh, fine. It's it's just a conversation, yeah. so. Uh just uh I think that they tried to do way too much in this movie in the time allotted. So it was kind of confusing. But I do totally agree with you. Yeah. One thing Tim Burton does know how to do is make a visually stunning movie. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, with vibrant, bright colors, you know. And, uh, yeah, that's one uh, appealing aspect. And, Sam, I thought it was interesting you compared this to Big Fish because Big Fish is actually the only Tim Burton movie I like. 
Yeah. So I I don't know if it's rightfully so. It's a it's a brilliant film. It's one of my favorite movies. I love Big Fish. It's in the top one hundred. So yeah. well, you know why it's good? It's good because the screenplay is on point. It's a really tight yes. script. Yep. Um, and I think that's one of the things that this film was lacking in. Yep. Um, I didn't. I found it inoffensive. I didn't hate it, or nor did I particularly dislike it. There's a point when it did when I did start enjoying what I was watching. I'll agree with what you what you guys have said previously. That there's too much exposition. There's too much establishing. And when I heard what the runtime was before going into it, you know, two hours ten minutes. I thought, crikey, really? Um, and the first hour and a half is, you know, your grandfather said this, and I used to do this, and this is how this and that works, and the plot doesn't really start going until around the hour and a half mark. And, and I found it kind of dull and boring at that point, mm-hmm. like for the for the first hour and a half. Oh, absolutely. Once the started being a bit more playful and the plot started moving and the characters got a bit more proactive, um, I, actually, I thought the movie kind of went like to complete schlock. There's a scene in Blackpool um, where it, it all goes a bit nuts, full of CGI creations and i'm really trying not to spoil this for people i'll say um, that's when i actually, that's when i turned off my brain i'm like i can't anymore yeah, <laughs> yeah i see I, it made me switch off intellectually but i started laughing because the film was i mean i was being entertained at least the film was just going for it and you know i was i was bored beforehand and i was just happy that you know samuel L. jackson's laughing and and you know trying to kill some kids and there's all this crazy <laughs> stuff going on and it actually reminded me a bit of army of darkness and anyone that's seen the that's uh, that that has seen this film will know why it reminded me of army of darkness right. yeah, yeah, yeah. but then of course mm-hmm. it instantly made me want to watch army of darkness instead <laughs> which is a way better movie <laughs> yep uh i i would like to congratulate sam first of all on the very first use of the word crikey uh on the sif pop podcast <laughs> and round of applause for that that's that's why we Thank have you, you on, Sam. That is that was brilliant. Now 100% international podcast. <laughs> that is right. Uh, <laughs> we can continue in, in on the negatives. You mentioned boredom. I think this is a slow-going movie, especially for the, the first half. If you're going to have Tim Burton aesthetic, which is this kind of creepy, quirky, weird kind of thing going on, you have to have the intellectual stimulation to pull you along the story because his pace is naturally kind of slow because he likes to kind of live in those moments. And so because the story was so expositional and not, um, you know, wasn't kind of moving us along in the way I wanted to, I just, I felt like it, it felt really slow. Uh, one of the things yeah. for me is there were so many amazing actors and actresses in this movie that were thrown away. They were pointless characters. I'm sure they're in the, like in the story, like in the novel, but they served little to zero purpose in the film to where their presence actually took you out of what the yeah. story could have pushed forward because you're Are you focusing... talking about like chris dowd i'm talking about chris dowd and because I, I love I, him i think he's great but he's yeah he's very underused in this i, I want to mention a few more people i just don't want to you know throw give away like oh they're not in the movie oh, too right, long sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. so but there's a couple like really high profile actors and actresses in this movie and I'm like, oh, they're going to be something big because, you know, they're a big name. And they weren't. And it made me take away focus on the other characters that turned out to actually matter because I'm waiting to see what this, what these other people do. 
Well, we'll go into more specifics uh, in the spoiler cast. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so if you uh, if you subscribe to the podcast feed, you'll get the spoiler cast that comes out after the the main podcast in the feed. So uh, also, if you're a, a patron, you'll be able to to check that out in the patron only podcast feed Patrons too. Get those perks. Yeah, they do. Um, <laughs> what else didn't we like about this? <laughs> um, I will say that uh, I thought. Uh, Asa Butterfield has been good in the past. He's great in a film. Off the top of my head, he's really great in a film called X and Y. Um, oh, he's he great in a great... lot of stuff. Ender's Game. Yeah, yeah. He he plays a great. Oh, he's he's Hugo, of course. Yeah, yeah I mean, like this Hugo. is a, this yeah. is a guy who's who's full of a lot of character, and he can be son of Rambo, right? You know, Wasn't he in son of Rambo? Uh, very possibly. I have not seen that one. Anyways, um, continue. But yes, he he has shown ability to be a, a you know be a have have charisma and and be emotional and all this kind of stuff. I thought he looked really bored this whole movie, yeah. and um, he just uh, I know he can act, but he wasn't. I wasn't reading anything off of his face. I didn't think his accent was particularly good. I don't know if he's British or whatever, but yeah, he um, But he okay. There you go. Um, I wasn't responding to his accent but also like there are moments in the film where something's supposed to for instance scare him and make him run out widen your eyes a bit mate come on something um it just there i was i was there was no i couldn't engage emotionally with him because he just uh, was a blank face the whole movie yeah i felt the exact same way and again mentioned those specific points in my review i backed that up completely again he doesn't he's trying to do i think the tim burton actor aesthetic but he just doesn't he doesn't understand it and and there's also like you couldn't believe when he was supposed to be excited or when something was supposed to impact him you just yeah. you couldn't buy into it because he was just such a blank slate the entire time uh, I just now thought of this. Half of the people in this movie were trying to be Tim Burton actors, and the other half were trying to be Wes Anderson actors. That's interesting, yeah. <laughs> so if you know Great both boy. of those, then you know what I'm trying to say. It's like the dry, humored, and it just, those two should not go together. I have a question for you guys. Yeah. Uh, uh, aesthetically, maybe maybe this is just me. Did it feel to you like even some of the live-action actors almost felt like they were stop-motion? Yeah. Like some of the way Asa Butterfield walked in different things, I was like, this almost feels like Nightmare Before Christmas. Like it almost feels like he's a stop motion character, even though he's actually a living actor on the screen. Well, there is actually a sequence where there are two inanimate objects that, that are, for, for reasons that I won't spoil, are, are alive momentarily. And it looks like they've actually done them in stop motion. Can I say um, that part was only, horrifying? for like a minute. That that was horrifying. That moment in the movie, <laughs> I was not a fan but, of that see, at all. That's actually one and one of those moments that kind of just happens, and I, I expected a uh, some sort of I don't know payoff for it. It does kind. Of, there are things paid off towards the end. I think that was um, just to set up the Blackpool moment. You know what I'm talking about? So like I suppose, he has. Yeah, I did think that eventually the 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 logic broke apart, and I I lost the plot completely with. How this whole time? I mean, if anyone's seen the trailer, there's a, a time loop sub time loop plot um, that keeps them in this house. I really lost the plot with what was going on with that because I totally agree. Things happen, mm-hmm. and things happen, and things change, and various time travel shenanigans occur. Um, it stopped making sense to me. If I missed something, then please do call me out on it. But it really no. looked to me like the like they just they it, they they themselves just 
they gave up trying to pretend like they even knew what the rules were. Sam, Sam, it's like you watched my review. You've literally gone <laughs> point by point with what I said in my five things review. Have you uploaded yours yet? Uh, it's not uploaded. It's actually rendering right now. Okay, so He's no one hacker. can accuse me of no, anything. No, 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 no. No, I'm not literally accusing you. It's like you're in my brain. <laughs> no, now. I know, but someone out there. I know someone out It's the same person that would have unsubscribed because of politics. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, I know, I can see you there. That was, in fact, that was my one more thing, and let's go ahead and do that as we kind of wrap up talking about Miss Peregrine. Okay. Is uh, just think about you know maybe one more thing that you didn't get to mention about the movie that you want to mention before we go on. But that was my one more thing was the time travel stuff made absolutely zero sense, and yeah. I I am already um, really attuned to the paradoxes of time travel and how difficult it is to put them into movies and have them make sense. And you have to do one of two things: either it has to make complete sense. Or you have to make, you just have to be willing just to be crazy with it and just pray that the audience accepts it. And this movie tried to do the second one. I just, I just couldn't buy it. I was literally going to say that word for word what you (laughs) just said because I was like, Aaron and I have had this conversation before where if you're going to do time travel, one of two things: you either try to explain it, or you, I was going to say, or don't say anything at all and just let the audience take you at your word. It is time travel. Don't try to explain it. Just accept it. Well, time travel should always be a mechanic, more so. The the story should really should really excuse any of those because there's no such thing as a perfect time travel story. And that I mean, if if I can just go straight into my one last. Twelve little, Monkeys is a perfect thing. time travel story. Primer is a perfect time travel. Movie. Yeah, just so, just <laughs> okay, so that's the future. But still, <laughs> but you know, what I mean, in terms of like mechanics and technicality, sure, sure, yeah, yeah, there will always be some kind of slip up. So. I, I always go into a time travel movie expecting something not quite to make sense if you follow the plot. The point is, and I think this is kind of where the movie, for me ultimately, I, I don't get anything out of it. With with those types of movies, I will I, I hate being uh, I hate holding up a movie solely against plot holes if something didn't quite make sense or this logic. You know that 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 stuff can be excused if you're invested in the story and the characters can pull you through and and it resonates with you on some level. I don't know why this movie was made. I didn't I didn't get any kind of underlying message from it. I didn't get I mean, besides, you know, aesthetic, and that's really, I'm going to take a, a guess in that that's why Tim Burton decided he had to make this movie. But in terms of the material, there wasn't anything that, that hooked me on an emotional, intellectual, or even character level. I didn't really, I mean, I, I you guys said you liked Eva Green. I thought she was fine. Um, but again, I don't think, I, I, well, I don't think Burton's that great at directing actors. Um, that's probably and, true. And I think it, it, you could see it on screen in that she was trying her level best. And she is a brilliant actress, Eva Green. I mean, she will give it her all, even if, you know, the director or the material isn't there. So at least she, I, so I don't blame her for coming out reason, you know, still, still quite good. Um, but it just in general, I didn't get why this story had to be told. I thought it was going to be something to do with family and maybe there was going to be a lesson to be learned. Um, I'm really trying not to spoil it. We can go into it later, but I felt that the way they ultimately went with the ending felt like a really quick and cheap uh, safety card. Like they just they didn't have the the guts to do it, which is surprising since we're saying there's so much creepy stuff. Which I'll give the film credit. I I was surprised how ballsy it was in in some of the creepy visuals, and you know I, I did back away from the screen a couple of times. Yeah, for sure. Andrew, what's your one more thing? Well, that kind of I'm just going to add on to his as my one last thing. I do agree that. Pretty much every single movie should have an overlying message 
for instance, the good dinosaur is about family, not fear. <laughs> but um, um, that's a callback to the the the, uh, the biggest argument ever on Sif Pop podcast. Standing up, yelling. It was uh, yeah, great. it was amazing. Go back and listen to that. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, would, I just want to add on to what Sam said. Every single movie should have an underlying message, whether it be family, bravery, overcoming fears, trying new things, or you know, just exploring adventures. This Even movie, if it's not a theme, it should connect on some level. Yeah, exactly. Respond to it in some way. And I could see this movie. I see this movie serving no purpose, serving nothing towards, uh, you know, like helping one understand how to overcome fears or anything like that. This movie does not need to exist. Or how to exist in a yeah. in a world where you're strange. You know, or, you know... I, yeah, yeah, like the the, the, the tra- traditional X-Men yeah. allegories. You know, they don't... They, 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 if you're going to play in the sandbox, you know, bring up the same sort of thing. They don't go near it. If you're going to play in the sandbox, bring your shovel and bucket. That's all we're saying. And just stay yeah. away from the cat lumps. That's, that's a good... That's a fair point. Yeah. All right, on to a little Mr. Robot Season 2 talk. We follow uh, Elliot as he goes through another season of Hacking E-Corp and what is the plan? What is Stage 2? What is going on? Where's he at? Who is everybody? Is every character Elliot? Maybe he's a software program. Who knows? (laughs) It is uh, Sam S. Mills' brainchild. And in fact, he directed... Every single episode oh, in did season he really? two, yeah. Did Bravo, he also did he Bravo continue to, to write them as well? Yeah, wrote episode? and directed every single episode. So pretty amazing stuff uh, from him. I will say this before we get into it. I oh. want to say this before we get into it. Okay, it's a little weird for me to review a season of TV that hasn't completed, you know, a run of its story. Like, a, you know, obviously, yeah. a Mr. Robot has a story that it's a complete story. It's trying to tell. It would be like you know reviewing the middle 30 minutes of a movie. You know what I mean? It's kind of like there's a little weirdness to it uh, for me uh, in doing it. But I do kind of want to get our general thoughts and, you know, kind of some specific things that stood out to us without spoiling a lot because I know a lot of people haven't seen it. Um, but And I know that's difficult with Mr. Robot. But let's kind of do some <laughs> some generals first. Sam, how did you feel about uh, season two and what's your overall relationship to the show? Well, I will say that I only discovered Mr. Robot around... Well, it was actually while I was recovering from this bicycle accident, I had time to kill. So, um, and I'd actually been sort of, sort of bad mouthing Mr. Robot because people had been sharing clips online of all these, you know, truth telling scenarios and, and, and sequences that sounded to me out of context to be quite cliche. Then I actually watched it and I, and I had to shut my mouth uh, <laughs> and take it all back because it, it's genuinely it's it's just really good it's really it's it's a great what what i love about it is that first it seems like a uh, you know a hacking series now, i don't know anything about hacking and i know i'm sure there's plenty of other people that watch this series that know nothing about hacking and that probably aren't that interested in hacking in general but it starts out as that and escalates into kind of a political um psychological drama there is so much to, there's there's so much meat in this series to chew on, um, and what I love, what I, I was originally this is what I loved about season one, 
and now they've done it with season two, which I just think is just brilliant, um, is that they've both given me reasons to go and rewatch each season. Mm -hmm. There have been twists and turns that have revealed that, well, yeah, part of the the brilliance of the series is that Elliot, the main character, is an unreliable narrator. You don't know if what he's telling you or what you're seeing really is Mm -hmm. actuality. And that that play, that brilliantly complements one of the dozens of themes that the series tackles, you know, what is reality, what is real life and all that kind of stuff. Um, but there, in season one, there is one particular moment in which things are revealed, which sheds a whole different light on everything you've watched beforehand. Um, and I worried that this season wasn't going to have that, uh, but I wasn't expecting it either. And then again, there is a moment that sheds a completely different light. And all I want to do now is go back and rewatch these seasons. And yeah. I know that I will have, I will be watching them from a different perspective and I will probably, hopefully, get something different out of it. You know, there's a reason to go back and rewatch it. It's a layered series. There's nuances in there's nuances everywhere. A lot of people will cite the cinematography. Uh, it's a it's very good at visual storytelling. Um, there's in fact the the way that each frame is is kind of composed is that you know someone's always off to the left and it's never center frame. Someone's always off in like the bottom left-hand corner or the bottom right corner. Mm-hmm. And it's meant to be an uneasy series that it's aesthetically designed to be like that. But I love that there's a scene, and this isn't a spoiler, it's just one moment in a series that in the series that really doesn't factor into much at all. But on a visual storytelling level, it really works where um Elliot and Angela, who are best who've been best friends from childhood and they obviously are romantically into each other, though the series very appropriately never really delves into that a huge amount. Um, it's it's very subtle, but there's a, a scene where they're both talking, and the sequence starts with them kind of distant from each other, and they're talking about things to do with like the corporate side of the series, and it's all tense, and, and they can't tell each other things, and they're both they're, neither of them are sent to frame, but then they start talking as if they're friends, and very slowly, as it keeps coming back, they're going more sent to frame as if you know Elliot's becoming more comfortable. And, you know, this is a friendship that, that is true to him and it brings him a bit more into reality. So it's stuff like that. It's really layered. It's really well crafted. The only criticism I'll say of season two, and it, it's not really a bad thing as much as it is a, an, a frustration, is that, like you said, Aaron, the series story is still going. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not so much a, a climax. The season one does give you a climax of sorts. And it does make you want to come back for the for the next season. All this makes me want to do is come back for the next season. Um, so I bet there's a for me for me there was some just a little. I felt like because I'd watched the whole season, I felt like I, I'd earned some kind of you know answer or resolution in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and there really but, isn't uh, much in I mean, season two. No, um, but you know, again, I I trust the series. I trust that it no, it knows what it's doing. Um, I love the psychological drama that's happening and, you know, it, it gets kind of creepy at moments. It really does feel unnerving and you don't know who to trust. And I just think it, it's just been brilliantly crafted and I, I love this season and the first season. So, yeah, Excellent. there you go. I, I hate this series. Yeah, awful. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, what are your general thoughts on season two? Oh, Sam, uh, he nailed a whole bunch of the cool. facts. So, um, but I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, everyone. No, no. Hey. <laughs> You, you, Quit you, being you, so smart. Yeah. Um, I, I want to <laughs> say that something that this show does phenomenally is that it keeps you 
coming back for more, whether it be an episode that makes you want to come back to the next episode or a season that makes you want to come back for more. Um, one of the concerns I have is something that season one did very well is there was a lot of unanswered questions that we were leading into season two. Now that season two is over, I have even more questions than before heading into season three whenever it comes out. I'm worried, and here's why I'm worried. Lost kind of did the same thing. Love Lost, but I don't want it to run the same thing of making twists for the sake of having twists. I want the story to serve a higher purpose than the shock value of a twist. And I think that yes. Sam Esmail, a.k.a. Mass Email, is more talented enough to recognize that. And I think that the cast... I don't think there's been a more well-rounded cast in a show in a very long time of people who are so perfect for their characters. But I don't know, man. There's so many questions I have, and well, it's, not, can, it's not a bad thing. I think I can assuage a little bit of that for you in, uh, in, in kind of resetting how Mr. Robot came to be. Uh, you may know some of this, all of this, I don't know, but Sam Esmiel originally was writing a screenplay. For a movie. That's so right. Mr. Robot was originally a screenplay with the beginning, middle, and end. Uh, he, unlike Lost, even though they were they were saying they knew the ending, they have admitted now they were making it up as they, they went along yeah. uh, in, in many ways. I think they had some broad points, especially after season four, I think it was, they knew where they were heading, uh, broadly <laughs> at least. Um, but Mr. Robot is different in that he has an entire map of this story already. He know any twist you see is it's not a twist they threw in. It's a twist that he had already written into the movie. Yeah. So uh, I think that's an important difference, you know, to make. Having said that, I nobody's announced how many seasons they're planning on doing this, and I think it would be very valuable for them to figure that out quickly and. And so that he has the creative ability to not have to stretch out his screenplay more than, you know, he he needed to. So yeah. I, I'm confident he'll be fine in that. Um, my general thoughts on season two, I did not like it as much as season one. Uh, it is still technically brilliant uh, as far as filmmaking goes and TV making goes. It's just... There's very few things like it on television to watch. It's just, it's gorgeous. It's thematic. It's meta, you know, metaphorical. Uh, it's really smart. The acting's really good. Like, I love all that stuff. The reason I didn't like season two as much as season one is, and I don't know if this is an effective. So there's a major quote unquote twist that happens about the seventh episode. Seventh episode. And that's um, the big twist. And it, has I to think. Do, it has to do with location. I'll just say it has to do with location. Yeah. Uh, I loved it. I saw that. By no. see, by episode three, no, I knew by episode three. I did. I, I knew um, exactly by calling episode three. shenanigans on that. No, I, <laughs> I, you can call shenanigans if you want, but it's fine. But here's, I'm not saying even that that's that's bad. I'm not saying it made it obvious. I'm saying once I knew that twist, there was a lot of waiting to get to the reveal, and I felt the the pace of the show just kind of just kind of chugged for me. Like I, I don't know, there was. And I wonder if it's also this. I watched week to week, and both you guys purged, I th or not purged, um, binged. Well, well, I watched uh, one through six canonically when they came out every week, but seven through um, the end, I watched last night. So I just got busy. So I wonder if that has something to do with it, too, because I just I felt like it was taking too long to get to places in the first half of the season. Uh, second half of the season, I thought, 
kicked it up and started moving nicely as quickly and as tightly as the the first full season did for me. But those first six episodes, first six or seven episodes for me were a little bit slower and felt a little bit looser to me than than before. Now I will say there is one episode. I'll agree in, with that. Uh, there is one episode in there that I think may be the best episode of the series, and it has Alf in it. I was just about to say, is it uh, the sit, <laughs> sitcom? Yeah, yeah, I don't want to uh, get too much away, but yeah, I was literally going to say that's the best episode of the season. And I wanted to bring that up for another reason. I think that this series gives you so many... It shows its versatility in the way it can make the show. It doesn't have to have the same structure going from episode to episode for the simple fact that... Um, it's all taking place in Elliot's mind, and Elliot's mind is technically limitless as mm-hmm. far as imagination yeah. or anything. So there are no bounds to where this show can go or cannot be taken, I should mm-hmm. say. And um, as Sam said, I love the fact he is not a reliable narrator. I love the fact that the show is not reliable. You can't trust anything. And like I said, I have more questions going into season two, or I mean, going into season three now, not because of stuff that wasn't revealed. It's because of stuff I don't know if I can trust, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. No, absolutely. I'm I'm really excited to to watch this this storytelling uh, adventure yeah. play out over the next one, two seasons. I don't know yeah. how, how much longer they're going go. I I, to go. I'd imagine two or three, just imagining in my mind. And one, my one last thing is going to be, it's, I'm interested you say that you, you knew the twist coming by episode seven. That twist alone is the reason why I want to go back and watch the first six episodes of yeah. season two. Yeah. Well, so. it all it all holds up because I'll tell you, again. I watched the four, five, and six, knowing exactly what was going on, and it all works. So, <laughs> uh, it's uh, I well, I I will say I didn't know. I can't I can't talk about it without spoiling it. There's, I can't. It's such can't. a delicate I, show. It's yeah, such a delicate. I can't yeah. talk about it without spoiling it. Sam, did you have anything else you wanted to mention about Mr. Robot season two before we move on? Uh, I don't know if it's an overall thing about the season, but I will say that this series is what the term juxtaposition was it was it was made for. <laughs> yeah. Um, there are so many uh, kind of eerie sequences where. They, they just have such a handle on the emotional manipulation of the story, like the, the way the storytelling affects you, like we're talking about with the, the, the episode involving Alf. Um, like if, anyone's, if anyone is interested in the series, do go watch it, because um, you will just be fascinated by some of the filmmaking tricks. In one particular episode, and this is just an example of how much you know, these guys know what they're doing, there's an episode involving a particular, a, I'll just say a power struggle, between Elliot and, and someone else. Um, and they use music from the Truman Show, mm-hmm. and you will only know it if you know the Truman Show. And I felt so personally rewarded for <laughs> catching up on that. But thematically, it, it, it ties in with what the narrative is about. Um, and, and, of course, any excuse to get Philip Glass's score in there is, you know, A-plus from me. But I just, you know, it's just, it's so well done. And mm-hmm. uh, I just... I, I, I will agree that the first six or so episodes were slow in, in some regards, but I think even on a bad day, it's still so good. And like you said, there's nothing like it on television, at least not from what I'm I'm checking out. And part of part of the reason those first six episodes may have been slow may not have just been that I, I kind of understood where the twist was going. It may have also been that we have our uh, main character, our you know our protagonist, is completely you know, separated from the rest of the cast in a lot of ways. You know, he has very little interaction, and so there's a, a little momentum 
uh, hiccup there, I think, that can happen uh, with that. But I, I think it started chugging along yeah. just fine. Can I can I say one last thing? Yeah. Uh, can we, I just want to congratulate the show for not doing the really annoying thing in terms of romance. It's really subtle with these characters, and they just let the chemistry carry it where you believe it and you buy it if and when they will eventually get together. But I'm so used to, at this point, of see, of writers not having faith that the actors and the chemistry and you know the audience can just interpret that in in their own way they always have to have a line of dialogue where someone says i see the way you look at him you love him don't you and it always bugs me i can't stand the scene they even <laughs> did it in daredevil which bugged me um they they've done it in in everything they they did it in the flash recently as well um, well, that's a CW show. That. They're, I think they're uh, contractually yeah, obligated yeah, to have that line in every yeah. single series. So yeah, I shouldn't have referenced the flash. But like, <laughs> yeah, devil, like, come on, man. You know, I think <laughs> so C- I want, CW, you know, CW may stand for constant wooing. Yeah. I think that's what it's. <laughs> for, so. so you know, if you've done your job well enough, if the actors have the chemistry and the writing's there, just have them, you know, kiss in the heat of the moment or something. You know, hold hold hands or whatever. You don't have to tell. You don't have to you know, instruct the audience on how to feel or how to interpret that relationship. Yeah. That's no, that's a great point. All I'm going to say, the show does it very subtly, and I like it. It's not the biggest focus either. It's very well done. We can move on. <laughs> My one last thing uh, is the show also continues its brilliant use of technology. Uh, they have the best technology advisors on that show. Everything is legit, looks real to life. The hacking looks absolutely realistic. Um you know, there is no, you know, uh, classic enhanced mode. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like <laughs> all the all the graphic interfaces look right, and that's because they are very particular about making sure that all the hacks you see on the show, uh, that that's how they would be done in real life. And that's just, uh, it's just a beautiful thing to me, and I've enjoyed that in Season 2 just as much as I did in Season 1. It, it's realistic, but then there's also MacGyver moments in the show, too. I'll just say the Pringles thing, and I'm like, mm-hmm. really? No, that's, that's a real awesome. thing. I know, and I was like, that's awesome. Yeah. So the fact that, you know, they can MacGyver some stuff, just it's just the best. When some loud bragger tries to put me down and says this school is great, I tell him right away, now what's the matter, buddy? Ain't you heard of my school? It's number one in the state. Hey, hey, take it away. Get that so ball to the best ever challenge for this episode of Sift Pop. We are doing best ever movies set in school. So we will go from number three to number one. Andrew has requested to go last. So yeah. we will we will let him go last. <laughs> because I'm a big whiny baby. Uh, I will go first. We'll go uh, me, Sam, and then you, Andrew. We'll start with number three. My number three is Napoleon Dynamite. Uh, okay absolutely was blown away the first time i saw this movie uh talk about a visual aesthetic you know quirkiness uh really interesting dialogue and i don't know that i'd seen anything before ever like that or really have seen anything like that since you know i've seen some some close representations of of it but there was just something completely worth the cult status of that movie uh the first time i saw it so i'll start off with napoleon dynamite good call sam what do you got uh, I'll go with. I'll be honest. I, I, I could only really think of two, <laughs> two that I that I that really like that spoke to me. I, I I looked up other ones and there were some good ones. I don't know if I could talk passionately about a third, even if I chose one. All right. Uh, but uh, I'll, I'll go. Okay, I'll, I'll I'll give one. 
No, actually, I I really don't believe in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you have to, I was going to say, I was going to say, I was going to say Mean Girls, but okay, it's, nope. it's, getting rid of it on my it, list. It, yeah, it's 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 good. Um, I don't know if I could talk about it much. I remember it. Be, I haven't watched it in years either. Uh, I remember it's definitely uh, representative of my generation, mm-hmm. um, and so I think it, it it's uh, and and everyone. That I know has seen it and can quote it. Is that so it's a, a very quotable movie? Is it, Tina Fey wrote that, didn't she? Yeah, that's a ninety percent. Yeah, yeah, Tina Fey wrote that. Yeah, great, great script in that movie. Uh, great dialogue, yeah. I should say. So, all right, Andrew, what's in it? Your number three, Juno. Okay. Wait, no, wait, did he give his third, or was just Mean Girls? Like a, I'm he, gonna throw it out. Yeah, he was. Let's say okay. that was my third. Let's he was flailing okay. for a third, and I think we landed on <laughs> Mean Girls. Right. So. so Juno, love. Juno, just the fact, like, obviously, um, obviously, I'm not a woman, so I don't understand the ramifications of being pregnant in mm-hmm. school, but getting a glimpse into that world and experiencing through her performance and the cast in that movie was phenomenal. It was one and of talk the talk about a unique dialogue, like, you know, a unique voice. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's some really interesting writing in that movie. Yeah. Number two, what you got? Uh, my number two is Hoosiers. Yep. I love Hoosiers. <laughs> uh, there's just something about a great sports movie that I can just watch it like on repeat, you know, for 24 hours straight. And Hoosiers is one of those movies. Uh, great performance from Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman. Uh, beautiful sports moments. Some of the most realistic sports moments, especially in the area of basketball, that I've seen in a movie uh, for that era, and especially you know for high school basketball. I love the story. I love, you know, the little town being able to, you know, rise up and win states and and that kind of stuff. So I, I, I really love Hoosiers. That's kind of why I fell in love with, um, what was the Texas football show? I'm having a blank right now. Uh, oh, Friday Night Lights? Friday Night, it's why I love Friday Night Lights is because in that town, basketball was everything to that town just mm-hmm. so how in like friday night lights yeah football high school football hickory high hickory high was everything to that town it wasn't you know like a college nearby it wasn't a, a famous nba team or a college team it was high school and the pressure that they put on the kids that's really what stood out mm-hmm. to me they made the kids grow up way sooner than oh they my goodness have. in that moment where they have the town meeting to get rid of the coach and then yeah. the players stand up and say if coach go oh oh <laughs> oh, it was great. All right, Sam, what's your number two? Uh, my number two is School of Rock. Ah, um, a little Jack Black. A little bit of Jack Black, Richard Linklater. Mm-hmm. Um, I absolutely loved this film when it came out, and it actually sparked my interest in... I think it sparked a whole... I, I keep referencing my generation. I think it did spark a huge interest in rock and roll for my generation, Um but I'm also a sucker for the type of movies about people that inspire other people to take the sticks out of their butts, mm. <laughs> uh, to quote Star-Lord. Uh-huh. Um, a bit like Footloose or Big is another one of those mm-hmm. movies where the main character kind of optimistically inspires people to chill out a little bit. I used to watch it a lot because I thought the music was great. I always found it funny. It's a really funny movie. I think it's the best Jack Black has ever been. Um, I, in fact, think he peaked too soon because I think he kind of came onto the scene mainly through this film. And I don't think he's been as funny since. Um, but also, you know, it, it is a film about what rock and roll means to a lot of people. 
Um, and I just think it, it's such a tight script. Um, but what I love most about it is that when I went to see it, I couldn't stop smiling. And I get that feeling every time I watch it now. It's just a, yeah, a that's really a good feeling. great film. I love all the characters. Um, uh, and it's just... It's a great film. I, I really enjoy it. Well, you obviously haven't seen Goosebumps then. Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Um, no, that's a great choice. What's your number two, Andrew? Number two is actually my real number two, so I didn't have to switch it out for Yay! anything. Perks of Being a Wallflower. <laughs> oh, okay. Love that movie. Logan Lerman gives one of the most amazing, quote-unquote, child actor performances ever because he was still fairly young when he made that movie. Mm-hmm. And Emma Watson, Ezra Miller, and Paul uh, Paul Rudd. I mean, that was such a psychological ex- like experience there's, seeing that movie. There's something about that movie that really captures high school, too. Yeah. The twist at the yeah. end, I never saw coming in a million years. Yeah. And uh, it honestly, it makes the movie all the more beautiful. So, yeah. No, that's a good choice. That's a good choice. It wasn't on my list, but a good choice. Yeah. No. All right, we on to our number ones. Number ones. My Let's number one movie set in school of all times. I have a feeling has to be Dead Poets Society. Oh, whoa! Ooh, did wow. not did not expect that you to I choose that one. I expected mine to get taken immediately. <laughs> me, me as well. Me as well. So I'm actually excited. So <laughs> uh, go ahead. We recently did a review on this podcast of Dead Poets Society. I've talked about my love for the film. Uh, brilliant performances all around. Uh, there are very few films. Fem- films that get me as emotionally as that one does um i love the themes i love the acting i love pretty much everything about it i love the lines i love the quotes uh it's just it's good stuff all around so that's my number one what's yours sam uh mine is the breakfast club yep that was my number um, one too <laughs> i'm sorry i'm sorry i had a feeling there's a reason like, why oh, it's God, number I'm one take it away from him. there's a reason why it's number <laughs> one i have plenty more to choose from you're fine <laughs> uh i i love this movie because i mean I mean, I'm actually amazed no one's pulled this up uh, until now. I mean, Breakfast Club is iconic um, at this point. I mean, the cast is phenomenal. Ah, God, I mean, where to start? What I love about this is that it so perfectly captures the class, the the idea of class systems and how difficult school can be um, because a lot of people go, a lot of people go easy on it um, in terms of, in terms of some movies, but school, some people hated school, and I can speak for myself, I absolutely hated school. I found it really difficult, um, and you know, I, I suppose it's a learning curve, I'm, it, it, it makes everyone stronger for surviving it. You can always turn to someone and say, I did it, I survived school, and I think this film perfectly encaptures the frustration with, with what those expectations in terms of who we are, who we're trying to be, can can get in the way of genuine friendships and honest truth um, between you know people that are just having a difficult time and you know uh, this is a, a a phrase I like to coin that that my dad coined um, you know everyone's having a battle that we know nothing about mm-hmm. um, in some sort of way yep. um, and I think the, I think the script is incredibly witty it's got really enjoyable moments the bit when they get high it always makes me laugh and they just start dancing. That's the, um, my favorite part of the movie, right there. Yeah, um, but also it's not afraid to delve into those very real emotions and very real, you know, I, the psychological problems and psychological trauma that these kids may may walk away. But they they walk away having having been the experience has bettered them. 
and they walk away more wiser. Um, and I think it's just a great sort of, it's a great analysis of social structures in school. And I just, I think it's a fantastic film. I cannot argue against The Breakfast Club. Did not make my list. I don't think I like it as much as most people do. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there's something about it that's a little less relatable to me, and I don't know if it's just the way I grew up or whatever, uh, but I can't argue it. It's it's certainly a phenomenal film. Uh, okay. Andrew, what are you going to choose then? In lieu of giving a number one, I'm just going to give four shout-outs to movies. So you're going on to your honorable mentions. Honorable mentions All right, right we'll now. go on to the honorable mentions. So I will, because I can't have... Breakfast Club is my not number one. So sure, <laughs> sure, understood. No, no, we're, we're going to share it. Saying we're going to share it. This episode, this episode is all about stealing. Yes. Okay, go ahead. So <laughs> my four honorable mentions, going from bottom to the best. Carrie. Yep. Good so choice. Had to have Carrie, and then Rushmore. Good choice. Dazed and confused. Okay. And me, Earl, and the, and the Dying Girl. Oh, I didn't even think of me, Earl, and the Dying Girl as a movie set in school. I've seen that one. It's really good. Super. I, would you not consider that a school movie? I think a, a I just huge did, portion no, no, of that you, film. No, I think you're absolutely right. Okay. No, I think that's fine. Uh, I just I just didn't think of it, and that's a great movie. I loved me, Earl, and the Dying Girl. Um, I'll go ahead and give my honorable mention, since Sam already mentioned he could only think of two anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, well. I cannot believe nobody said Ferris Bueller yet. I thought some yeah that's I considered it but it, I, I'm not as into it. As I thought it was the fact that he was not in school was the part <laughs> right. of the movie. So yeah, I did I did consider that yeah. <laughs> so uh, Ferris Bueller, I had listed Clueless. I thought was oh, another one. Yeah, great quotes in Clueless. A lot of good stuff there. Can't believe I didn't think of Clueless. Well, the nineties Mean Girls. Clueless is yeah, yeah, that's yeah, exactly yeah. what it is. Um, and then a couple that probably wouldn't have gotten mentioned. Well, maybe Election would have. Um, I think Election's a great movie. Uh, Easy A is one of my favorite underrated films. Um, so I, I wrote that one down. And then, Emma Stone kills that movie. And then one of my favorite movies that I don't think it's nearly enough credit, Sky High. Uh, which so is I thought of Sky High, actually. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a fun, great movie. What a great movie. Yeah, very underappreciated. Yeah, so uh, so those would be my honorable mentions uh, in the category of... What's the Sean Penn movie I'm thinking of that's escaping me right now it's not is it uh dead fast man, time fast times at ridgemont dead man, dead man walking yeah yeah that didn't take place in a school fast times at ridgemont <laughs> Hall. 10 things i hate about you is quite good yeah yeah there's there another go. good choice there's so, there's a plethora of good school movies so. yeah absolutely yeah. stay in school kids stay in school yeah <laughs> all right we'll go on to our buried treasure andrew what's one thing in the world of pop culture that you want to make sure people know about my buried treasure is a guilty pleasure so Whoa, There's are you a, rhyming right now? I know. Well, I don't think you can rhyme pleasure with pleasure. So, <laughs> But um, my uh, buried treasure this week is a show on Fox called Lucifer. Really? I am really having a lot of fun with this show. It's, it's not good, but I can't <laughs> stop watching it. I, there's just something really addictive, and maybe the fact that you know me, I love DC, and the fact that this is based off of a DC comic, mm-hmm. and um, I think that the performances, while they're not you know critically good, they're fun, and who wouldn't find the story of the devil getting bored in hell, so he moves to Los Angeles to open up a bar <laughs> as you know something interesting? So I mean. And there was a oh, there was man. a quote unquote twist left at season one, and the reason why I'm bringing it up is season two just started. So, 
It's all on Hulu if you have Hulu. I say go and at least give it a shot. I think it's fun. I do have other friends who are watching Lucifer, so I can't fault you too much for that one. Okay. Uh, My Buried Treasure is also a TV show. Just started. Want to get you in right at the beginning. It's The Good Place. Uh, Kristen Bell and Ted Danson are spectacular in this show. And it reminds me so much of the aesthetic of, like, Pushing Daisies. Like, it's very colorful and well-lit and... The humor, like Kristen Bell's sense of humor is just so dead on. Um, I think it's written really well. I like some of the concepts where it's going. Um, the good place. I'm trying to remember the... Is so that the, the where she... Uh, the basic conceit is that she is accidentally in heaven. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, again, like the show itself is in zero way representative of what I think the afterlife actually is. <laughs> uh, but it is so clever and interesting and fun to think of. And what it does is it sets rules for the afterlife that we all go along with, and then we can have the uh, the themes and conversations that go along with religion, spirituality, um, you know, morality, especially. Lots of great, interesting conversation on morality and and those kind of things. So I, I think this is not only a fun show to watch; I think it's actually going somewhere. It just feels like. It has something to say, and it's going to continue to say it, so I'll be interested to follow along. Is there an actual linear story to it, or is it like a yes. uh, sitcom-ish? Like no, there's a, there, there's a linear story to it. So okay. I, I do think it's it's really valuable to get in at the beginning and kind of watch it in order. Fantastic. Sam, got some buried treasure? Uh, I recently discovered Rick and Morty. Um, oh, nice. Oh. Uh, is, I, I absolutely love this this series. I think it's it's fantastic. What's uh What's great about it is that it's uh, I I am an I am one of the sad sad fans of Futurama that no longer has that series, um, mm. and uh, this series is quite literally Futurama and Back to the Future mixed into one. I'd seen the odd like episode uh, months ago and and thought oh that's that's quite funny and then just not bothered to check it out again because I had so much free time over the summer. <laughs> I decided to check out the whole series and. My oh my, is there a lot of actually really, really thoughtful and intelligent writing going I love on that. underneath, underlying the comedy? Um, what I, it's just there's there's a kind of a nihilistic attitude uh, uh, that the series has towards existentialism, but it's played it's done at such a it's played so straight um, that uh, but the second you want you start wanting to get depressed. They'll use that to make the joke even funnier, um, and I just love the characters. I love the the ideas that they they kind of mess around with. They have a lot of fun with the the science fiction formula, and they bring up a lot of sci-fi themes and philosophies and ideas. And I really respond to that. I love any kind of, especially if you're a cartoon comedy. You know, you don't have to do that. And the fact that they do go to those extra efforts, um, you know, I really appreciate that. But it's just, it's also just so funny. Yeah. Um, it's not for the faint-hearted. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's very full-on. I mean, I tried to introduce my partner to it um, with an episode with a character called Mr. Meeseeks, and anyone that's watched that knows how crazy it gets. <laughs> Look um, at me. Yeah. I'm Mr. Meeseeks. Let's not Look do at it. Me. <laughs> We're gonna scare everyone off. But yeah, it, it's a it's a really great show. They've wrapped up their second season. We're all still waiting on season three, but. It is really funny, and I'm just—I I love it when a show goes to the extra mileage to try and deliver something, you know, thoughtful and intellectual. It doesn't have to do those things. I mean, sometimes I can just enjoy a funny thing, um, 
but you know i think you you get that little you get that extra bit of credit when when you go to the extra mile and i i think it's a really funny series and i'm really enjoying it so uh, check that out if you haven't already i think that probably rick and morty might be the funniest show on tv right now it's definitely in like the top five for sure easily um you say you're a huge fan have you seen the youtube clip for the state of About Georgia versus Denver Court. Fenton yeah. Allen. Yeah. <laughs> Again, not for the faint of heart. What they Have you heard about this? Oh, I saw it. Oh, you've seen it. Okay. I saw it. I, it's the only Rick and Morty I've seen. I've never watched the show. but Pretty I, much the show is that, except they bleep everything. So if you, if <laughs> yeah. you thought that was funny, add yeah. more sci-fi to it. And the fact that it's the same guy doing yeah. the voices for both is... I love like, that. And you so couldn't tell good. that until you did the research. Yeah. In fact, some. In fact, if you if you've only seen that clip on YouTube, a good a good in for the series. Watch episode eight of season one, in which they basically get uh, Rick invents a kind of uh, intergalactic, interdimensional TV cable device. Oh where my you can just goodness. watch any show, and a lot, uh, pretty much all of the adverts and programs are uh, ad libbed. Uh, by the chat that does <laughs> the multiverse TV is yeah. the greatest and thing. And what's great about them is they they keep in the slip ups. They keep in the moments where the the actors lose it because they can't you know keep a straight face. And it's just yeah, if, if you're That's looking great. for a good like improv moment where even the actors can't hold it together, yeah, they're laughing on it's screen. So like Officer yeah. Baby Legs might be the funniest thing I've ever seen <laughs> in my entire life. Well, I Two think brothers. <laughs> <laughs> I think the the lesson, Sam that you have given us all, and I think this is important, that if you really want to be up on pop culture, you really need to get into a bicycle accident. I think that's... <laughs> I think that's, that's the moral of today's episode. I think that's the moral of the episode. Thanks so much for joining us today for Sif Pop. It is part of the Shoe the Dough podcast network. You can find out more about other live and later shows on the network by following the feed at Mixler.com slash Shoe the Dough. That's M-I-X-L-R dot com slash Shoe the Dough. Huge thanks again to today's guru, Sam from Sam's channel. Thank you very much, guys. Cheers. Sam, uh, tell us where uh, we can find you, uh, where you want to push people towards. Uh, you guys can find me on YouTube, uh, Sam's channel. Just type that in. I'm sure you'll find me. Um, you can also uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Samuel Gavin. I'm always ranting about something. That's where I go to vent. So <laughs> if you don't want to hear negative stuff, then please don't find me there. You can also follow me on the Facebook page, which is YouTube.com/slash Sam's Channel YouTube. I think something like that. <laughs> Either way, Sam's Channel. You'll type it in. You'll find it. Um, and yeah. Thanks for having me on, guys. I, I really enjoy this. It's oh, always it's, a lot of fun. It's always great having you on. We'll get you back again soon. This but, is the first episode. You, this is the first podcast I've been on with a guest I have not known prior to recording. So thank you, Sam, for yeah. making it incredible. Well, thank you, Andrew. This is great. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, this is great. So much love going around. <laughs> We're so happy. It's so beautiful. <laughs> Much love and gratitude also to our Patreon supporters for giving monthly to make this show and others on the Shoe the Dough Network possible. Support starts at a buck a month, comes with some pretty fun perks. You can find out more at patreon.com slash shoe the dough. Also, if you know of a podcast or have a podcast idea that you'd like to see on the network, make sure and let us know. All feedback is welcome at shoe the dough at gmail.com. Out of curiosity, can you guys hear my chair squeaking? Yes. A little bit. Just okay. a little bit. Has it been a nuisance?
I oh, haven't noticed. We it. just figured you had like indigestion yeah. or something. Uh, I'm so really worried. You're that, that, you're that or you, you're holding a gerbil up to the mic. You know, just let us. You know, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Let's go with that one. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.